0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. Join Andy Schneider, national spokesperson for the USDA APHIS Avian Health Program, editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine and author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop, and Zero Waste Chicken Keeping as he welcomes top poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, and poultry nutritionists to discuss the hot topics in the poultry world today and provide science-based fact-based study-based information to help you raise the healthiest poultry possible and now here's your host andy schneider
2: all righty thank you very much for tuning in today to backyard poultry with the chicken whisperer we have a great show lined up for you today uh we have my good friend dr maurice Bateski uh joining us today talking all about basic husbandry practices and this is very important we we have um poultry scientists and poultry veterinarians and poultry nutritionists on all the time. And we talk about different topics. We talk about illnesses. We talk about disease. And one could probably actually say that everything that we talk about on this show really comes back to basic husbandry practices in your backyard or in your poultry setting, uh, whether it be uh, you know, having a good biosecurity plan to tr- doing what you can again to prevent infectious poultry diseases, keeping your birds as healthy as possible, um, how you deal with their food delivery systems and their water delivery systems and, and everything of that nature um, all boils down to basic husbandry practices. I would maybe even go out on a limb and say that a lot of the issues on board um, that you may have are uh, have or had <laughs> regarding raising your backyard poultry um, the problems may actually all of them may be actually um trace back to some type of issue uh, with providing basic husbandry for for your flock. So it's going to be a tremendous topic. We invite you to go ahead and get a pen and paper so you can take lots of notes for today's show. Again, we'll be taking a break somewhere around um, 25 after the hour and then around 50 minutes past the hour so we can uh, – Uh, honor our sponsors that bring you the show every single week but i know dr poteski he's been out of the country and he's been working on some projects um and so it's great to have him back here on backyard poultry with the chicken whisperer and uh, we'll go ahead and bring him live now and welcome to the show doc thank you so much for joining us
3: great thanks andy it's good to be here thanks for having me yeah
2: I hope you had a great trip of the country. I'm sure you're glad to be home, uh, back with your family and, and your work there at UC Davis. But um, I hope you learned a lot, shared a lot of knowledge with other folks that needed it. Uh, but we're glad that you're back.
3: <laughs> yep, no, I'm too. It's nice to be back. So hope, that's hope great. I hope so... everyone had a good summer. Yeah, it's still summer. Speaking
2: of summer, it's still hot. You know, probably three weeks ago, we started seeing the signs of fall around here at the farm. You know, the the driveway was kind of uh, peppered with some leaves and along the edge of the wood line, we had some leaves coming down and maybe a little bit cooler temperatures at night. And then we had a little cold snap and then it got hot again. And uh, it's been mm. in the mid-90s here. And we're like, wait, it's, it's mid-September. This is not supposed to be happening. But I think maybe, maybe this week with the low and mid 90s we're having that this will be the last kind of push uh of, of summer before it moves on out and we start getting some cooler te- temperatures at least I'm hoping so
3: <laughs> yeah I was, I was just in um I was giving a talk at a agricultural technology meeting at North Carolina State University and, <laughs> Right? Uh, yeah it it was it was hot outside it was it was uh I'm I'm not used to that humidity but uh it it uh it definitely did not feel like fall yet <laughs> Definitely not, but I'll be I'll be welcoming uh,
2: fall. So, um, basic husbandry practices is going to be a great topic today. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you have it, and uh, let us know what what's important for us to realize, to know, and practice in our backyards.
3: Yeah, well, great. Well, while we're talking about um, kind of heat, that that's probably not a bad place just to kind of talk a little, since we're we're all still kind of uh, some parts of the country are still pretty hot. Um sure. so one of the things, you know, we've talked about in the past is that um you know birds kind of are what they eat. Um and eating in hot weather, just like uh for us, you know, birds are, are typically will eat less in hot in hot weather. Um and this has some, you know, really important things that, that we should probably think about a little. So um Since it's hot, I'd just like to kind of just mention a couple things. It's probably not a bad place to start. Um, So they don't eat as much um, when it's hot. Um, And even if you you always want to supply cool water um, that's clean, and the best predictor of birds that will eat a good diet is how much water they consume. But even under the best of conditions, when it gets hot, um, they won't eat as much. And that will have all kinds of effects on shell quality. So when you pick up the shell, um, you'll have maybe potentially more cracked shells. They'll feel thinner. Um, and, again, that's just because, um, because they're hot. They're typically excreting more minerals. Um, their blood um, pH will actually um, be higher, and, they're, um, they'll, they'll be, uh, and because of the amount of food that they're eating, they'll be taking less calcium in. And that combination of a high blood pH, not to get too into the weeds here, but that high blood pH and lower calcium uh, will contribute to making the eggs a lot thinner and, and weaker. Um, so there's there's you know this is where husbandry and management really come in and offering them water um, is really really important. I have mixed views on misters. Um, uh-huh. Misters can um, increase humidity and um, they can also contribute to creating an environment um, that allows bacteria. To proliferate, so um, I, I'm not a huge fan of misters, but I am actually in, in extreme heat, and we've had this in California, Davis, uh, where I am, is, is in the Central Valley. California gets very hot there in the summer. Uh, so what we'll do actually do with birds is we'll, we'll we won't take freezing water, but we'll take cool water, and we'll we'll lift up the birds one by one gently, and actually basically give them a, a, a bath um, just to cool them off, and it's just literally just kind of dunking them in the water obviously keeping their head above the water for um, for a few seconds at a time. And that, they seem to enjoy that. And then the only other thing I would mention is adding ice to water is, is a very good option. Um, you know, we want to cool down the internal temperature of, of the birds. Um, so things to watch out for, pick up the eggs, um, but also look at the birds themselves. Um, so the eggs, obviously, as we mentioned earlier, they, the shells can be a little thinner. You can see a few more cracks. Um... Those kind of issues, but um, the birds in in hot weather, um, they can show all kinds of signs of stress or deficiency because they're not eating their proper diet. Uh, remember, you know the, the the nutrition is so important, and and their their rations are really designed for them to eat, you know, 100, 110, 120 grams of feed every day, and if they're only eating 80 grams of feed. Um, that's going to contribute to them um, not producing eggs effectively, and it will also contribute to the stress. So um, sometimes you'll see a lot of down feathers throughout the house, and you'll see birds eating those feathers. Those are typical signs of stress, especially related to to heat. Um, So think about how you can keep your house cool. Uh, One common mistake I kind of see a lot of people use is they use fans a lot. Fans are great, um, but you want to make sure that the fans, that, that, that laminar flow of air is is moving above the birds not at the level of the birds birds get a little stressed wow. if there's wind that's blowing right at their um kind of at their level um but having mo- air move around is a really nice thing too in addition to that to that cool water um I'm
2: glad to definitely glad to hear that because I've been saying that for a long time that you know people talk about adding fans in their coop and just like um, I kind of relate it to when we teach people about you know you want good air exchange but no drafts and then you have to kind of go into and explain okay what, how do I differentiate between good airflow good air exchange and then no drafts and I kind of relate that to uh, once your chickens are up on the roost at night you know go out to your coop with a flashlight take a look at them and see if their feathers are actually moving due to to a draft, that be a draft, um, and, and then we want to try to find out where that is. Eliminated. That means we have to create another opening or vent uh, to. Cr- continue that good air exchange and air movement, then, then we need to do that. And I've also shared with folks with adding fans uh, in their coop is that, again, you want that to be angled where it's not constantly blowing on them. Even at night, they like, even in the summertime? Yes. Even in the summertime and especially even at mm-hmm. night, because you do get cool temperatures in, at evening. And, you know, though a lot of folks like that fan running in the bedroom at night, just to have that constant air uh, hitting them all night long, I share with folks is just not going to be good for the health of your birds. So I'm so glad uh you have backed that up and it kind of allows me to know also because <laughs> i have probably heard that somewhere from an expert like yourself and so i've been sharing it but to hear that even for me again to let me know and reassure that yeah i've been sharing the right information to folks all this time uh i appreciate that and hopefully our listeners can appreciate that if they're doing that with the fans i've also what you talked about misters not to get into that because that's a whole other show about things we can um, I, I, one of the issues I have with misters, um, like you said, uh, kind of pros and cons is the the, um, the bedding, making wherever you set that up, having that wet bedding there, uh, which is not going to be good for them um, or their health or, you know, biosecurity or, again, the pads of their feet. So that was one thing a lot of times I'll stress with folks about setting up a mister. Be mindful of where you put that and, and how much water is going through it and check that bedding that if it's in an area with bedding um based on that how much moisture gets in that bedding as well
3: yep no those are all i i, I completely agree with everything you said there It's um you know mis- misters are kind of a double-edged sword and and the uh-huh. reality the reality is that misters only work if the birds actually go under the misters so <laughs> um <laughs> So if you have, you know, a a flock of 10,000 birds, misters are, you know, and, 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 you know, 50% of the birds use the misters, then that's, that's effective at at keeping them cooler. Um, But if you have 10 birds, you know, putting them in in a a bucket of water for a few seconds and then taking them out, um, if that's not too stressful for them, is is a really good option to consider. Um, The most important thing when, when we, when we have this heat, you know, birds are pretty resilient um, in, in heat and cold um but you just want to kind of start assessing some of the stress kind of um common signs that you'll see and like i said the, the biggest kind of thing that you'll sometimes see is you'll see uh, uh more feathers in the litter more down feathers in the litter and you'll definitely see you know um, birds trying to eat uh feathers and down feathers um and stress is caused by a lot of different things right we all uh, it could be predators. It could be the house climate itself. Like we just talked about, those that that, that, that fan that that I love blowing on me at night. Uh, birds don't necessarily like. Um, you know, if the feed is not um, if if the feed is not balanced, if it's not a balanced ration, um, that can cause stress uh, because of shortage of nutrients. Disease causes stress. Um, so there's a whole host of things that can cause stress. But um, you know, this time of year one of the more common ones unfortunately is just is just the heat itself so you know the big things to look for is just observe the stress um look for the quality address the quality of the the eggs and you know this is kind of where i always get on my high horse a little and and tell everyone to, to keep some kind of log whether it's on a piece of paper whether it's on a spreadsheet uh some kind of log so they know you know what normal looks like and then they know what abnormal looks like so it's really hard to understand when your birds are stressed if you don't know, you know kind of um, you know, what, what uh, normal looks like. And, and sometimes you have a good gut feeling of that, um, but, but it's always nice to have some data to back you up when you talk to a, a vet or someone like that. Um, and then you know, on the water side, the only other thing I wanted to mention is, again, related to that data issue. So birds will drink uh, about one and a half to two times the amount of water um, uh, relative to the amount of feed that they consume. And birds will not eat if they don't have adequate water. So um, water is one of those things that's so basic and, but also so fundamental that I think we have a tendency to kind of skip over. Um, so whatever water system you use, there are all different types of waters. Um, so there's nipple drinkers and round drinkers and drinking cups. Um, there's advantages and disadvantages to all of them. Um, so it's just important that whatever you use works and it keeps the water cool and keeps the water clean. So I'm, I'm pretty agnostic on waters um, as long as they're doing what they're supposed to do. Um, so with that, I wanted to, you know, kind of bounce around, I guess, for the, the rest of our time to kind of just go over some, some, some basics of, of husbandry and, um, you know, making sure it's Sometimes we don't have a chance to talk about all these, you know, kind of general kind of concepts of husbandry, and and I wanted to start a little just at the beginning. Um, so it's really important to work with with hatcheries and feed stores that are reputable. Um, and um, you know, the question is, what do you mean by reputable? So as a veterinarian, you know, I'm 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 highly concerned about animal welfare, and I'm also concerned about diseases, and and those are you know the kind of perspective that I look at poultry. Uh, and chickens through, um, so you know when I think about you know what's a what's a reputable source of birds. In in a perfect world, it would be um, birds that are uh, from hatcheries and feed stores that are part of the NPIP, or National Poultry Improvement Plan. And, and the reason I say that is nothing's perfect, um, but MPIP is um, you know, a very fundamental program that focuses on poultry health. So at the minimum, when you buy chicks that are uh, uh, from hatcheries that are MPIP certified, um, you're getting birds um, from hatcheries that have been inspected. Um, where um, at the minimum, uh, the uh, salmonella um, uh, they, they are they are the, the the birds are free of salmonella pulorum, which is one of the more pathogenic uh, salmonellas. Doesn't cause illness in humans, but it definitely will cause uh, death and illness in, in chicks. Um and uh also, um, kind of at the minimum, the MPIP doesn't include this, but you wanna work with hatcheries and feed stores where those birds are vaccinated in one way or the other by day one of age against Merrick's disease. Um so if you have chicks that are uh from MPIP certified uh hatcheries, um you know that the birds were raised in as clean conditions as possible. You know that at the minimum, they are from uh, a flock that has been tested for a salmonella that causes a, a large amount of mortality, in a large, large amount of death in, in, in chicks. And um, if you're working with a hatchery that at least offers that, that Merix vaccination, um, because that's another very common cause of death um, in, in chicks, then you're, you're really starting in the right place. Now, I understand that some people hatch their own chicks, um, and I also understand that people, you know, work through Craigslist and, and other online sources, and some of these hatcheries don't have um, all the resources to vaccinate, all the resources to um, um, to, to be in the MPIP program, because being an MPIP takes some effort, and it takes some commitment, and, and you know, time is money. Um, So in those situations, it's, it's, in my opinion, that that's not the end of the world, but in my opinion, it's really, really important to make sure, um, that the people you're dealing with are, are following the same concepts of biosecurity, disease prevention, um, they're offering vaccinations, they're doing those vaccinations correctly, uh, vaccinations only work if you do them correctly. So human error is very common, unfortunately, in vaccination, and, and that causes a lot of confusion about, um when vaccines when we do have vaccine failures why we actually had vaccine failure so my only suggestion is you know there are some unique breeds that maybe not all the hatcheries provide um and you know i understand people love you know some of these breeds they're they're really fascinated by them and they've got unique personalities and um, beautiful feathering and all those type of things and i'm, I'm not opposed to, to people kind of branching out i think it's really interesting but but in those situations it's so fundamental to then take a really active interest in the conditions that those hatcheries those birds are being hatched in because you're getting that bird at day one of age but the reality is at day one of age if that bird if if that bird's mom um, and that bird when it was in an incubator was not treated correctly um you're going to have all kinds of disease problems potentially down the road um so it's really important to be involved with that um and that that's probably you know the best predictor of how those birds are going to do is their how their um how their their breeding stock how they were treated and how um the conditions of of that hatchery um what what, how was that hatchery cleaned and disinfected properly Mm-hmm. All those things are so fundamental. So when you get an MPIP certification, you're you're kind of getting that kind of seal of approval. So it, you you don't have to be as engaged in those husbandry practices because you know that other people from the state, for example, or from the poultry industry are actually inspecting those facilities and and making sure that they are are living up to um, certain uh, biosecurity principles, et cetera, et cetera. The other thing I, I kind of wanted to mention is, and I am. Um, Blissfully ignorant of all the species or breeds of chicken, um, but you know even before you work with your hatchery and your feed store or whatever other source that you're getting your birds from, it is so important um, to really identify what kind of birds that you want. And there are some really nice sources um, that talk about. Um, some of the standards for the different breeds of chickens, um, and also some of the Bantam uh, breeds, which have become ext- very popular because the Bantams are typically smaller, and the Bantams are, especially in urban areas, have become much more popular. Um, so there are some, that the, the the sources that I would recommend, as far as just kind of getting some basic understanding of how often they produce eggs, what their personalities are like, what their featherings is like. Um, there's the breeds uh, the, the American Poultry Association uh, publication, the American Standard of Perfection. Um, so um, I can send you a link for that, Andy. You can post it on your, on your website. Um, but sure. then there's also um, the American Bantam Association, uh, which has their kind of um, breed description. Um, so that's really, really important to kind of um, consider also. Yeah, um, absolutely. We actually
2: have the um, American Poultry Association, they come on the show the fourth Thursday of every month, and uh, oh. we talk about the publication, and they talk about different things like whether you want to be a judge, or we talk about breeds, or the standard, and actually they um, just started, I guess, I don't know, maybe two issues ago, three issues ago, started uh, providing a article in Chicken Whisper Magazine. Great great club, great group of folks over there at the American Poultry Association, and um I agree with the American Bantam Association. I've actually uh, advertised in their annual uh, book before uh, regarding the radio show and
3: whatnot. So um,
2: it's those are some amazing um, clubs there,
3: absolutely. Oh, I need to listen to that because I, I need to. I need to learn my breeds. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm slacking on that, on that aspect of my knowledge. We don't really learn that kind of stuff in vet school, and and I have a, a bad memory for that kind of stuff. So I, I should start listening to those.
2: Well, there's so many, and I, and I tell folks too for years. They'll, they'll often send me an email say, "Hey, what breed do you think this is?" I said, "Hey, I, I'm the wrong uh, person for that because I don't show chickens. I don't go. I mean, we've covered them. We broadcast live from the poultry shows before, uh, but I don't show. I don't have." Time time to show. I think it's great. Uh, we've, been, we've had shows about again everything from washing a chicken for shows and everything else. But yeah, when it comes to uh the all the different types, uh I am not your guy either to say, Oh yeah, absolutely, that is a this or that is a that. Uh, right, right. No. I've had um, different breeds ourselves. In fact, before we moved to the farm here, early on, um, we would try to have a great variety. So, as we were getting people started uh, back in, wow, 2007 or 8, 12, 13, 15 years ago, when the movement started, we tried to have a great variety in our in our backyard um, to show folks. Well, this. Hard Rock, this is a silver-laced Wyandotte, this is that, and then now, not so much. My wife still wants to get a separate coop and run for some of that eye candy breeds, I call them, uh, that, that lay the different color eggs, just to show the kids that come out for our farm school now. Um, so that's that's kind of on our, our list to do here uh, as well when we get a round to it. Uh, well, of course, that list is super, super long. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, back to that topic, I'm me. Uh, that's my weekly link, too, is to just say, hey, what breed is this Andy? I'm like, I'm not the guy to go to for that. Here's somebody at the American Poultry Association or the American Bantam Association that would definitely be able to help you out with that. <laughs> hey, while no, we um, just look at the clock, let me go to break real quick, and um, we'll, we'll get the first break uh, out of the way. Folks, if you're just tuning in, we're having a great time. We're talking with poultry veterinarian Dr. Maurice Poteski. We're talking all about some basic husbandry practices. There's a lot more to come, so stay with us. We'll be back right after this short break. Sweet PDZ has been keeping horse stalls ammonia-free and healthy for nearly 33 years. However, ammonia is ammonia, regardless of the species producing it. Therefore, it will do the same great job in your chicken coops and brooders. Sweet PDZ safeguards flock health by neutralizing and eliminating harmful levels of ammonia and odors. Safe and effective moisture absorption. All-natural, non-toxic, premium-grade zeolite mineral. Contains no-masking scents or chemical perfumes. Safe and beneficial to dispose with waste on compost and gardens. Learn more at SweetPDZ.com. That's SweetPDZ.com. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at Stromberg'sChickens.com. That's Stromberg'sChickens.com.
0: Are you one of the many Americans that keep backyard poultry? Do you want to give your birds the best care possible? The Chicken Whispers Cooptastic 2020 Conference will teach you how, plus more, too. Cooptastic will be February 21st, 22nd, and 23rd, 2020 at the beautiful Alabama 4-H Conference Center near Birmingham, Alabama. Educational programs by poultry scientists, veterinarians, and nutritionists, plus fun activities give you an unforgettable experience. Conference packages are available from just for a day to the full experience with meals, entertainment, and lodging. The all-inclusive package is an amazing value at around $300. On-site lodging is limited, so reserve your spot as soon as possible. Visit www.chickenwhisperer.com today for more details.
2: When you need an incubator, think Frenzi, the incubation specialist's. Prensi has been a world leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code Whisper at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at brinsea.com. That's b-r-i-n-s-e-a.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937.
1: And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider.
2: All righty, Thank you very much for staying with us today. We're talking with poultry veterinarian, Dr. Maurice Pitesky. We're talking all about husbandry practices. And if you just a minute, I want to check something here regarding a product that we promote um, called Chick Fresh, um, And because. I saw – I think I saw it on their website, but I don't think it's available yet on Amazon. But they've made the announcement over on their Facebook page, so uh, I feel confident that I can go ahead and make the announcement as, as well, especially to all of you who are already using this product that found that product through us here uh, at um Chicken Whisper Radio and the the Chick Fresh product, but if if you know you know you can go to Amazon and find the Chick Fresh Odor Control Spray and Ammonia Eliminator for your brooders and your coops and uh, gosh your uh, cat litter boxes and, and the garbage can in your kitchen. There's so many gazillion uses for it, um, but uh, the bottle one bottle itself is twelve ninety eight, and they have a two pack special for only twenty one fifty. So it shaves you probably about four dollars if you buy the two bottle special and a lot of you have have actually done that Uh, absolutely amazing reviews on this don't just take it from me but the announcement is that and and you you regular users are going to be ecstatic about this they're coming out i guess with a concentrated bottle that uh, you buy the one bottle and apparently that makes five of the large 24 ounce bottles so all you do is you put like five capfuls in the bottle you've just finished fill it with water shake it real good and and it's going to save you a ton of money Um, i hear it brings the cost of the bottle down to under five dollars so instead of 12.98 a bottle even if you buy the double deal at 21.50 for two bottles which is what 11.25 a a bottle now you can get the concentrate a small little bottle uh and whatever cap four or five capfuls pull per large bottle and i want to say it's 24.95 but it ends up being less than five dollars i think it's like $4.99 for a bottle instead of $12.99. So those of you who are already using this product should be ecstatic about that. I do not see it yet on Amazon, and uh, they have uh, made the announcement, I know, over on their Facebook page about the new smaller concentrated bottle. So that's fantastic news. Uh, but you can monitor <laughs> Amazon for when it becomes released and ready to buy because that will save you a ton of money for all of you that are already using the Chick Fresh uh, product. All right, let's get back over here to the uh, phone lines and we'll bring back uh, Dr. Uh, Pateski and we'll continue with our topic uh, of husbandry practices.
3: Great. Thanks, Andy. Sure. Um, so um, these are. Some of the things I want to go over now are just kind of the basic um, kind of concepts of of husbandry and and what are the things that you need to really think about in housing and, and, um, you know, how do we reduce stress? How do we make sure our birds are are happy and healthy and provide enrichments? And a lot of this is, you know, as the saying goes, it's not rocket science, not brain surgery or or anything like that, but it just requires – um, effort and uh, uh, some knowledge, and, and just um, that that uh, fastidiousness that that uh, hopefully um, we all have because we want to be uh, I would say somewhat perfectionist. We don't want to be perfectionists because perfection uh, kind of slows uh, any kind of innovation or, or, or things <laughs> like that down. <laughs> so there there's a middle ground there. All right. right. So I just wanted to just go over just a few basic things when we think about husbandry. So first thing is protection. So, so birds are prey species, um, and we all know that. And uh, they're, they're as um, useful and productive as they are. They're, they're also very um, um, sensitive to all kinds of things. Um, so we talked about draft, and we want to make sure we protect our birds from a draft because draft increases stress, and, and stress is, is a common cause of, of sickness and death. Um, but we also want to um, make sure that we have good fences um, between our birds and all of the things that are on the outside. Um, the most common, the two most common mistakes I see are uh, the fences are never, um, often I do not see fences that are buried. Um, so they need to be buried at least four, five, six inches deep. Um, because uh, raccoons, uh, for example, are really good about burrowing under the ground, and other rodents are really good about burrowing under the ground. So I see people that have that fence line go uh, basically just to um, the, um, the dirt line, and that's great, but it doesn't address uh, if something wants to get in there that's a rodent. Um, they're they're kind of designed to do that. So burying that fence line six inches down is really important and making sure that that um, – at the fence line that in a perfect world you're not just covering it in six inches of dirt you're actually using gravel so my recommendation is six inches wide of gravel and six inches deep Um, and rodents typically do not like uh, burrowing through gravel they love burrowing through dirt their nails and claws are kind of designed to do that but gravel is not not in their wheelhouse so Um, That's one kind of common issue. I I realize that some of these fence lines are are pretty long. So, um, again, this is a perfect example of not to make uh, perfect the enemy good. Do the best you can. But um, that's one common mistake. And the second most common mistake, uh, or probably equally um, what I see is, um, you know, obviously there are predators that are um, able to fly, so owls and other raptors, hawks and things like that. So I see people with these amazing fences, um, but I don't see any fences over the, over the top um, of the coop. So having some kind of netting or um, wire mesh or some kind of material to, to prevent um, um, any kind of raptor or other uh, predatory bird from getting um, to your chicks and your chickens is really, really important, and it's that's probably um, even more common than, than not bearing the fence as far as uh, kind of that protection issue. Um, The other thing when you think about protection is is don't tempt fate by, you know, keeping uh, feed um, out all night long. Because when you have that feed out at night, um, owls uh, and other nocturnal um, predatory and non-predatory species are going to try to get into your coop. So you you are just inviting them in and, um, you know, the way – just think, you know, put yourself in there – um in their in their shoes so to speak um when they see that food or that water um or you know whatever else the chicken scratch that's on the ground they're like oh my god i gotta get in there so um you know even with the proper fencing if you're keeping that feed out and about um you're just um you know it's the equivalent of you know leaving like a pie a warm pie on the uh you know, on the back porch um, at night, and you have kids, you know, someone's going to wake up in the middle of the night and, and take a piece of that, right? Um, yeah, there's, me. Enough, there's enough blame to go around, yeah. <laughs> uh, me, me too, me, me too. Yeah, um, exactly. I'm, I'm going to add one more thing in there. You're much
2: too kind regarding burying the fencing, because I always tell folks 12 to 18 inches, they hate me. Because oh, of my Because so, I tell them, I'm like, um, I think one reason why people – uh, one reason why we see so many predator attacks, and I tell folks, is that at the end of the day, we've discussed it with you and, and Dr. McRae and, and everybody across the board that's come on the show. I, I truly feel there's no other way to describe it. At the end of the day, um, it's not done because m- providing predator-proof coops and runs, it's going to be time, backbreaking work, and money. And I, I think. Issue of having to spend more money to make it predator proof an example of that would be again maybe I have to rent a ditch witch because I have this long fence line and, and, and that's going to cost me money or buying that gravel um, or maybe even upgrading your wire and I wanted to mention this too not using chicken wire because even a, a house cat with an attitude can get through that chicken wire but we see it so much until again there's a mistake so how's that going to cost you more money well now you've got to buy the hardware cloth instead of the chicken wire and that's going to cost you more money and, and having that mm. cover, uh, not just as you said for, for the raptors and, and predator protection, but also biosecurity as well. Um, but but Gesso, I think a lot of times at the end of the day, uh, and we're all guilty of this, is that well maybe I can get by or I'll be okay or I just it's not in the budget. And I've told. Um, thousands of people speaking it's like i'd almost rather you start chickens next year instead of this year save an extra 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 dollars a month and then next year when you do it you do it one time you do it right you spend that more for the hardware cloth instead of the chicken wire you bury that pitch fin- which- witch or whatever the case may be you get that gravel you you know uh, have that you have the money for the roof uh, roofing and protection um but i want to add that specifically about the uh the, chicken wire versus the hardware cloth because people just think oh chicken wire that's what i need and it'll be a do a good job keeping chickens in but it won't do a good job keeping the predators out
3: yep no those are those are great points and the the hardware cloth is great um you can get quarter inch by quarter inch to really keep stuff out half inch by half inch um which doesn't always work with mice the only challenge with hardware cloth it can be challenging to work with and it'll touch Mm -hmm. you up so you just have mm-hmm. yeah, to be real cautious when you work with it, but that stuff is great. Um, it is, it is, it is road proof. And yeah, chicken wire is. Uh, is I, I don't know what chicken wire is good for, but not not for chickens. <laughs> I, I completely agree there. Um, there's other materials that people can use. So if they, they they if they have had bad experiences with hardware cloth, which I, I've gotten sliced and diced a little by it, but it's just the way it is. Um, but there are other materials you can use. So um, plastic, you know, some of the. Um, um, materials that you can, you know, build with plastic fencing, wood fencing. Um, plastic's pretty easy to work with, but it can get really hot. Um, and in the direct sun, it can it can degrade pretty quickly. Um, wood, you know, I'm biased. Wood looks better. I think a lot of us probably agree to that. Um, it's it's heavy though, and it can be difficult to clean and disinfect. Um, So, um, sealants can be used, but what we don't know, and and this is the whole area of toxicology that we just don't know that much about, um, we really don't understand any kind of leaching of any kind of toxic material um, when it comes to, um, you know, varnishes and paints. I really like latex-based paints um, because now you can at least spray down and clean and disinfect your wood material. If you don't have any kind of sealant on your wood, you you can't spray it down, or you can, but now you're getting your wood that's waterlogged, and that's a great way for, for bacteria and viruses and other parasites to persist. Um, but there is a concern, and, and I don't think we just know enough about it. There is a concern about any of those... Um, you know latex-based paints does does any of that you know that what happens when the birds eat that what are the unintended consequences on the on the food safety side of that so i i'm i'm a little concerned about that unfortunately we spend so much time and effort focusing on salmonella and e coli and things like that we don't spend enough time in my perspective uh, relative time uh, focusing on some of these other issues that we just don't know that much about unfortunately sure. um, so um the um protection we, we we just talked about and that's essential um and then the next thing is, is adequate space um so that's also uh really really fundamental too um there's a lot of arguments about how much space a bird should get inside and outside um i I kind of err on the side of of probably you know. I wouldn't say I'm kind of in a middle ground there. When you look at it's kind of interesting, just as a quick side note, when you look at the, the space requirements that some of the uh, industry groups require um, in the commercial poultry world uh, for pasture and free range, there's all these different auditing organizations. And uh, even though I'm not a welfare specialist, it's not an area of expertise of mine, but when I look into any of the literature that these people have used, there really isn't very much science behind it. Um, so I'm, I'm a little somewhat skeptical of, of some of the, the claims that they're making, but, uh, for the most part, for, um, birds that are in a backyard environment, um, you know, at the minimum, we want about two square feet per bird on the inside of our coop. And again, at the minimum on the outside, we want about four square feet per bird on the outside. Now, this is, these are, these are minimum recommendations. And, and in addition to space, enrichments are really important so I'd say if you don't have a lot of space um, make sure your birds have some 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 fun stuff to do Um, and if you have a lot of space then that's great too Um, you might not need as much enrichment and and this goes back to that issue of stress Um, are we having you know are we seeing a lot of feathers on the ground are the birds eating some of those feathers Uh, are the eggs uh, weak Um, are we getting lots of uh, checked and cracked eggs those are all different ways to kind of assess, um, are, we, are we seeing any cannibalistic behavior? So the space issue, you know, I, 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 I think sometimes we spend so much time on that and we don't focus enough on, like, well, what are the birds actually doing? What do they look like? Because I could promise you I would be happier if someone was on the minimal sides of those space requirements where their birds look great than if someone was, you know, two or three times that, and they're like, well, what's wrong with my birds? There's something going on here. Um, and, and So space is just not the only kind of um, uh-huh. thing to pay attention to, and th- this is where we need to be, you know, most important rule of all, which is sometimes the hardest for some of us is just to be pragmatic is like what do our birds look like? Do they look happy and healthy? What do their feathering look like? What's the quality of the eggs we're getting? Um, those kind of issues. Um, but just in general, you know, when you're kind of sketching things out in people's backyards, that two square feet per bird on the inside, Right And that four square feet bird on the outside, and then making sure the birds have perches. Um, so in my mind, perches are fundamental um, to um, a, the, the design of a coop. You need a perch and you need a nest box. Um, I consider perches and nest box uh, enrichments but required enrichments. Um, and you can you can create perches by installing you know, basically just wood bars that are nice and rounded um, that are approximately twenty inches off the ground. Um, to allow the birds to have a a good, uh, um, and and you want to have the birds about 10 inches of perch length per bird. So where you run into behavior issues, unfortunately, or or welfare issues is when you're not giving them enough space to perch on. And now you start having that classical um, um, pecking order issue. So if you have 20 inches of perch space and you've got five birds, I promise you, your birds are going to fight over, you know, who gets those two perching spaces there. So, <laughs> so probably don't want to do that, obviously. Um, and this is where, you know, this, this kind of coop design kind of things come in, and just understanding some of those basic kind of um, ideas. Um, automatic doors, also, when we think about, you know, it's not so much an enrichment, but it's it's a, a convenience. Um, So there are all all kinds of automatic doors now that are solar-powered. They can give birds um, access to the outdoors first thing in the morning and lock them up inside safely and secure at night. Um, You know, you don't have to be present. At nighttime, I always like to look at the birds just to make sure um, that all the birds are inside and that no one got locked out. Um, But it is nice to have, you know, one less thing to do um, and just to kind of double-check before you um, go to work or, or wherever you go, um, or going on a holiday or something like that. Th- those doors are really nice, and they're amazing how easy they are and how um, um, how, how, how how nice they are to work with. Um, and then, you know, kind of moving down the list, we talked about protection, we talked about space, um, and then easy access to feed and water. Um, so you, you want, uh, especially on the feed, again, we talked about the amount of space space that we need for, um, for a perch. Um, so on feeders, we also need, um, about two to three inches per bird, um, in order for birds to, um, have enough space to, to, eat so that you will run into a pecking order issue if you have one feeder that has enough space for two birds or three birds and you've got 10 birds. Um, so those are things to kind of think about. Um, other things to think about that people sometimes don't always consider are, are sources of light. So there's a lot of arguments about this. A lot of it depends on on what your latitude is. Um, so obviously we're in the northern hemisphere. Um, you know if you have birds in Hawaii, you, you probably don't need a source of light because you're, you're equatorial. Um, if you have birds in Alaska and you want eggs during the wintertime, you need a source of light. Um, so some of this is breed based on breed characteristics. Some of this is based on environment. Uh, one thing I always try to recommend to people is we're in North America, so just make sure if you're when you're building your coop, put a little thought into trying, if possible, to make sure that you have a window that allows light in and just put it on the south side, because um, now you're allowing a little more uh, light in. And, um, you know, birds are amazingly productive, um, low-maintenance uh, food animals, so they will produce eggs in, in spite of us, not always because of us. Um, and uh, they, they can be extremely productive but just, just helping them out a little if you're still having production issues then adding a light um, is, is something you should consider and in, in a small coop you can add a timer with a light and give them um, an extra you know, hour in the morning for example to get them up to 12 hours for example but there are some breed differences there and I, I hear anecdotally some amazing stories about uh, people having eggs year round in all kinds of interesting uh, climates and then um, just the last three I wanted to mention, ventilation, we talked about ventilation. Um, it is really, really important um, to make sure that you don't have ammonia, a strong ammonia smell in your coops, um, because uh, ammonia, among other things, can cause uh, corneal ulcers and make your, your birds go blind. Um, it's also not good for us, um, so a lot of us have kids and uh, we want our kids to be able to uh, learn the basics of husbandry and taking care of animals and, and those kind of responsibilities. So um, it's just important to make sure, just like we like fresh air, fresh air is good for us. Uh, making sure that we have um, good um, circulation of air uh, for the birds, while still considering the, the issue of airflow at the level of the birds. So, just to reiterate what we talked about earlier: we don't want that air uh, flowing at a high rate where the birds are. That's a, that's actually a source of stress um, and um, you know, birds are, are are pretty amazing we we live in a pretty hot climate in california and and uh, they will get stressed in hot climates but they 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 can survive uh cold especially you know i I know, I know this is one of your mantras here but they they do not need brooding uh lamps in in the cold they are they are they are hardy uh species and and as you know better than i do um putting brooders and, and other heating elements can be a recipe for disaster
2: yeah absolutely um, we've been Talking about that for uh, um, yeah, dec- over a decade with that, just because of the <laughs> number of fires we we put out, and, and I kind of go back to more of a, uh, a a way to kind of convey that to folks that you know uh, chickens have been domesticated for about a thousand years, and you know we've only had electricity in, in most of America for about a hundred or so years, and which which kind of tells us chickens have been doing just fine without heaters in their coops for about 7,000 years. Um, So I start at that point and then continue to go on. Um, And that's in in our book that you were a contributor with, is the Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop book, where we talk about that. And that that one, I think you'll agree, that one topic about chickens don't need heaters in their coops, that's I think the only one in the book that got both a fact and a poop mark, just because I guess (laughs) based. Just based on kind of like, and I think Dr. McRae was sharing with that one, was, um, you know, it, obviously if you're doing something for a commercial production or a production for, for whatever cases, and you're looking at, you know, i got to get the most eggs, and you, you got your lighting system going on, you got your temperature control to make them as comfortable as possible, so you get the most eggs possible. So, you know, she, she touches on that a little bit where, yeah, in most cases, people listening to the show, it's going to be, yeah, poop you're not going to need a heat source but for those others that may not fall into that category production and other things uh it it, it may pertain based on whatever it is but yeah we've, we've been harping on that for years and years and years about just the dangers of those and them not needing the heat um i i saw one actually today that you might get a kick out of and, and the, the media the, the first thing i thought of was okay chickens aren't Uh, mammals, and and, and they're not like a calf or a cow or these other animals where we may have to do this, but someone was uh, on a chicken forum talking about well, guys, winter's coming up soon. I need to know what I need to change in their diet to fatten them up for winter. (laughs) I'm serious. I'm like, oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. So yes, someone was asking on a forum just today what they need to do with their hen's diet, with their chicken's diet to fatten them up for for the winter. And of course, as as you can expect, we got all kinds of answers before I chimed in about, oh, I give mine cooked rice. And with oatmeal and I give them whole corn because that helps them keep warm overnight and I give mm-hmm. them all this stuff and because um, they're fattening them up for, for the winter. Of course, and I, I chimed in there saying um, I don't change a thing. They still yeah, get right, right, right Commercial feed and whatnot, but um, yeah, with the heat issue. I got a couple of questions um, and then we'll have you uh, wrap up and I need to go to one more commercial break. You did mention round roosts and, and, I, and I would love to el- elaborate a little bit on that. I was literally this morning Referring to the chicken factor, chicken poop book, and, and that was one of them about about roosts uh, being uh, a round roost. And so many people today, even the commercial coop builders um, that are around there, that have these beautiful Amish coops or whatever, and all they're putting in there is like a, a, a just a non-cut, just just as it comes off the uh, the manufacturer floor, uh, a two by four, or they're putting in there a a one by one maybe or a one by three. This rectangular piece. Of there and they just you know uh, nail gun it in or whatever, and then off, off it goes. But I noticed in that uh, from Dr. McRae, the chicken coop book this morning, uh, that she also recommends the the round roost. Can you can you let us know the for their especially new newbies that are listening, the importance of that round roost versus just putting in a a square two by four in there or a one by one or something like that.
3: Yeah, so no, it's a great point. That's a that's a really important detail to pay attention to. So, um first of all, why why do birds roost in the first place? So, they roost because they're a prey species. So, they're they're trying to get off the ground so they can kind of um kind of assess their environment and respond to a predator. So, if they're not roosting, um, that can contribute to um, stress and, and all the bad things we talked about, stress. So um, just by sticking a, a roosting bar in, 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 and you think, okay, in nature, what are they roosting on? Um, They're not, you know, roosting on two-by-fours. Typically, they're roosting on branches, and that makes sense when you think about, you know, kind of um, if you're trying to do, you know, just as as you can anthropomorphize a little here, just as humans with our hands, we, we try to, we can probably grab things that are round a little better and get a better grip on them. That's the same thing with the chicken's feet, and so what happens is if you don't have a round roosting bar, it's not the end of the world, but it's not ideal in the sense that, now, um, let's say they're using, you're using a, a one by one or a two by four, and the way that they're gripping um, those roosting bars is not ideal, and all kinds of bad things can happen on, on if the roosting bars are not the adequate size and shape. Um, and the most common thing that I'll see is, first of all, they just won't use the roosting bars. So you'll put that bar in there, and they're not using it because it's not comfy, and they can't really, you know, kind of utilize it and grip onto it appropriately. And when they do use it, you will get increased um, occurrence of a disease called bumblefoot often because um, the bars themselves, um, the wood can create slivers um, if it's not smooth. And uh, on those edges, we all know that when we work with two-by-fours, the edges of that wood will um, eventually kind of splinter off. And um, those splinters can cause infections and and a disease called bumblefoot, which is a a real pain in the butt to treat. Um, So it's not trivial. And if if anyone ever calls me and they're describing a bumblefoot infection, my first question is about their roosting bars, Um, what kind of material they're using for the roosting bars or what kind of material are they using to to raise the birds on if it's in a uh, commercial-type facility. Um, So ideally you do want something that's round and smooth and doesn't splinter. Um, And that's off the ground, not too much, because, again, you know, I've seen people where they say, well, we put a roosting bar and they didn't use it. And there's all kinds of reasons that could happen. Um, You want that roosting bar in there relatively early, so by about the fourth week of life, you want a roosting bar in there. And it's interesting, by having roosting bars, that seems to decrease the amount of floor that you get. Um, And it also uh, decreases the amount of fractures that the birds have. So it does contribute to um, um, their strong, you know, kind of the strength of their bones. And raising birds in a backyard environment, uh, it's a great environment from a enrichment perspective. There's a lot of stuff going on, um, but there's also more. They also have higher rates, we think, of, of fractures and things like that. So raising them uh, with roosting bars does seem to contribute to their um, increased bone density, which obviously decreases their potential for fractures. So having those bars, you want the birds to be able to get. About two thirds of the way around the bar when they're gripping it, and I can't remember off the top of my head what kind of diameter you'd want for that. But I'd have to, I'd have to send you that because I'd, I'd be making up a number. But I, I can't remember always, the exact diameter. I've always
2: shared two and a half to three inches in diameter. But if you send me that information and, and that happens to be wrong, then I'll of course get it out there to all of our fans and followers that uh, that listen to that. So because uh, okay. I just know well, the two yeah. by four, the two by four issue has been. Uh, has been a big thing over the last few years. So uh, it came up twice in my reading today about round roost. and You had mentioned it. So I said, I'll have you elaborate on that uh, obviously a little bit.
3: Yeah. No, thank you for, for chiming in there and I'll, I'll double check. I just don't uh, sometimes you forget some of those numbers in in your head. Um, and then um, before we go that, the last thing I really just wanted to mention is, is when we think about husbandry and we think about, you know, vaccines and we think about, um, nutrition. When we think about uh, ventilation, protection, predators, um, everything about our coops, you know, the most important thing to use is is is, is common sense. So um, that's sometimes you know challenging. I, I realize, but but that's you know, we're never going to kind of address every little situation um, that we that were that, that 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 might come up in your backyard or your environment or what your neighbors have or any kind of, you know, extenuating circumstances you might have in your backyard with other types of species and animals, whether they're domestic or wild. Um, And this is where kind of some creativity and common sense kind of have to kind of, you know, half creativity and and maybe 49% creativity and and 51% common sense or or maybe even a little more on the common sense side um, to kind of address all 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 those type things. And what I would suggest is that there are some – you know there there's some great websites and and um I'm not you know I I come from a university and I'm not saying we know everything but but one of the nice things about universities is that we don't what the we're not getting paid for whatever whatever we're recommending to you so if if we recommend a vaccine it's not like I get any extra money from the vaccine company and if we recommend a certain type of water uh it's not like we're getting paid from that from that company either so so my my point is that you know it's it's always nice to get that un um biased perspective and, and um, when you reach out to uh, cooperative Extension and to the universities in general, these, these are these are great resources that we've built in our country and, and they're they're here to stay and hopefully they can offer all these un, you know, objective science-based perspectives on, on what are the best things to use instead of, you know, some of the anecdotal things that we might get from, um, from, from people on websites or from companies where they might be 100% right, but it's, it's always nice to just know um, the, the, the different motivations that we all have. So that would be my plug for reach out to your cooperative extension vet, reach out to your university. You know, I'm in California, but that doesn't mean you can't, you can't reach out to me if you're, if you're not in California. So feel free to, to reach out with questions. So so you're telling me that when
2: you recommend us to get our birds vaccinated for Merrick's, that Merck isn't actually flying
3: you to Hawaii every year to recommend <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately no, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing I thought of was Dr. Mirke's
1: flying to Hawaii every year. <laughs> I
3: know, for for every person I convince I get a I get a new uh gold uh gold watch for every thousand persons. <laughs>
2: I'm glad you mentioned that. I really am. And another thing, another thing I I, I was really proud to hear in the show when you talked about again, you said it was minimum Two square feet inside, four four square feet uh, outside, say in the run. And that is always where I start. That's where I've always started for years. And again, it just kind of makes me warm and fuzzy knowing that I've I've also, again, reassuring me that I'm sharing the right information with folks and I have for years and years about the two square feet and four square feet. And I share with them, you know, things that'll happen if you don't have enough space for your birds inside if you don't have enough roost space where we start at you know one foot linear one foot of roost space per bird even though realistically they'll probably use less than that as though if you don't have enough roost space they may start nesting in the nest boxes or sleeping or roosting in the nest boxes if you will overnight mm-hmm. and then you know they poop in the nest boxes and there's poop on your eggs and that's a whole other topic having to clean out that <laughs> nest box more frequently so um, we'll talk about the negative effects of not having enough roost space or a big enough coop for the birds that you've got in there um which uh which we try to do, so um it sounds to me like you've kind of wrapped everything up on your um outline that you wanted to share with us today. is that correct
3: yeah no that's uh, a okay. that's a good stopping point.
2: I think I've asked all of the questions that I've had, so uh, thank you so much for another great show. It was uh, fascinating, and uh, I learned a lot, but it also reassured me of a lot of things that I have share when I do speaking engagements and things. And We're so glad you're back in the country. Oh, we will wrap up with this. Um, unfortunately, um, some not so great news. We heard there – I believe there were at least one, maybe two recent um, findings of the um, – Uh, Newcastle uh, out in California very recently.
3: Yes, correct. So um, San Diego um, County now has been affected, um, which was outside of the quarantine zone. Um, I think the understanding at this point was it was um, uh, most likely related to um, movements of birds from the quarantine to to San Uh Diego. So it it kind of uh, reiterates the importance of biosecurity and and following the quarantine um and um you know the the, the surveillance will, will will kind of continue a little longer now to to make sure that um you know this 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 current kind of spread and i'm, I'm not sure exactly how many backyards are affected but it, it was in a backyard flock um and it was um my understanding was movement of birds from the quarantine to the Um, movement of birds and or equipment from the quarantine to to um, non-quarantined areas. So it's disappointing. And then the longer the virus persists, I think the the concern that I have is that the the virus does not do well in hot, dry environments. So as we move into fall, um, the hope is really that we can... um, Make sure that the virus is uh, inactivated and uh, reduce as much of the viral the virus that's in the environment as possible before the uh, uh, before the fall and winter come.
2: I remember you said that on an earlier post, and if you weren't going to mention it, I was, about how we were hoping that it would be pretty much eradicated before we got to fall and winter. And also, I know a lot of people were bummed out because they were literally had X's on their calendar. I think we were out to October of when those bans would be lifted and the quarantine would be lifted uh, with the last uh, positive. But now that calendar has, has started over, so we're probably towards the uh, I think it's 120 days, four months, so we're probably at least through the end of this year anyway, um, hoping yeah, that we yeah, don't exactly. that pop up for, for the winter time. Okay. So, well, Dr. Petesky, thanks so much for coming on, spending your time with us, and uh, educating all of us uh, on your expertise, and we look forward to having you back here next month. Great.
3: Well, thanks for having me, it's good to be back.
2: Great. Thank you so much. You take care. Uh, all right. We'll be back right after this short break.
0: Our layer pellets and crumbles are all-natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Combox Feeds. Find a dealer at ComboxFeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumbles today on Amazon.com. Kambach Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer.
2: Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold-tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better-baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com, and order your next flock from us.
1: And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider.
2: All right, thanks for staying with us today. I wanted to... um lastly it reminded me i was talking with some folks on a uh, forum today again about the you know plumping your chickens up for, for winter time which i gotta chuckle out of um and and sharing with them is like you know hey you know I feel like that our program here is overseen by uh, several uh, professionals in our diet and everything. We consult with poultry scientists and poultry uh, nutritionists. Um, And uh, we will supplement during stressful times um, and in the hot summer months, during really, really hot weeks. We will supplement um, with a uh, water additive. Uh, called chicken delight and you you guys know me the reason why I was um, uh, They approached me and the reason why I was very accepting to them was that their product uh, is designed by um, Folks with a lot of letters after the name that know chickens. It's actually a global uh, Supplement company out of Germany Uh, and I say global so um, their products are used worldwide and um, uh, so so that attracted me, and then I said, okay, I'll use it, and I've used it for for a while, and um, we have it here it is a staple now on our farm and we use it during stressful times when, when our chickens we, we have one set maybe two sets of chickens here on our farm and two separate groups uh, we got several uh, that are due to molt this year and so when they go into their molt um, I may um, supplement just into their water instead of doing things that you're online like cat food and tuna and all that garbage um, will add some of this um, uh, chicken delight to their water during their molt because it is designed for poultry. Cat food, Dr. Bridget McCray, poultry scientist uh, and other poultry nutritionists have said no to cat food, no to cat food Um, and and tuna and things like that. So uh, use, use a, product designed for poultry if you feel like you want to up their protein during their molt or coming up uh, in the beginning of winter so we'll be using that you can find it on amazon like so many things today just research chicken delight d-e-l-y-t-e um, and it has also uh, great reviews for people who have used it, so don't take my word for it. Look at the other folks that are reviewing it that actually use uh, the product. And I'm going to wrap up here as well to give you one more uh, little uh, punch about CoopTastic 2020. Uh, the vendors are, are coming out. It's, it's amazing, the vendors that have signed up so far, and we're going to be starting to reach back to them because the vendor fee is going to go up in, on October 1st. So we want to kind of get them all together before October 1st. We know some that will look at their schedule a little later on. But, you know, we've got McMurray Hatchery that's going to be there. We've got Ideal Poultry that's going to be there. We've got Small Pet Select that's going to be there. We've got uh, Innovation Pet that's going to be there. We have Hog Slat that's going to be there. We've got um, Metzger Farms that's going to actually be there. I don't know. I'm We've got uh, American Wood Fibers that, that that is sponsoring. We have uh, um, Urban Coop Company that is actually do, doing sponsoring. we got Princy Products is going to be sponsoring. Uh, they've donated some great door prizes, and Urban Coop Company donated a $1,200 coupe for us to give away to all the attendees. Um, I'm trying to think who else is on the on the vendor list. But um, the vendor list is going to be incredible. The vendor area, wow. You want to talk about the who's who in the poultry product and poultry feed industry. Um, it's going to be uh, amazing. I believe Kampak Feed is going to be there. Uh, ADM has showed interest in being there. Nutrena's has uh, showed interest in being there. I reached out to Purina. Still waiting back on them. They, they got me feedback saying we haven't quite started planning our 2020 yet, but we'll get back to you. So the vendor area is going to be just second to none uh, regarding one place where you can go and meet all of your favorite companies in the backyard poultry industry. You know what else is second to none? Our speaker list. Nine poultry professionals From three different poultry science universities, Auburn University, North Carolina State University, and University of Georgia, poultry veterinarians, poultry nutritionists, poultry um, uh, scientists. It's going to be fantastic, and they're all going to be speaking on all these different array of topics. We've got entertainment in the evenings for you guys. We've got bonfire with s'mores. We've got a motivational magician on Saturday night that's going to wow us and really uplift us, and uh, all the all meals included, all your entertainment's included, the entire uh, outbreak sessions are included, $299. Your hotel is included. Uh, how you get there is on your dime, whether you hitchhike or take an Uber or fly or drive, all that's on you. But once you're there, once you arrive and you park in that parking space, it's all-inclusive, $299. That's two-night hotel. That's, I think it's six one two one two three four six meals, all your snack breaks, all your entertainment. It's, you can't beat it for 200 Plus, you're getting all this fabulous education from all of these uh, experts from these major poultry science universities. So we really want you to attend. Um, It's very important. Just go to cooptastic2020.com.
1: This has been Backyard Poultry with The Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. For more information, find us on the web at chickenwhisperer.com. On Facebook, by typing in The Chicken Whisperer. On Twitter, at Backyard Poultry, and on Instagram at the Real Chicken Whisperer. Thanks for listening.